Bible and turn to Romans chapter 13, please. Romans chapter 13. I did think of an announcement or something to mention. Uh, our missions conference is coming up in just about three weeks or so. Uh, Pastor Ron Pittman will be our speaker for the week. Uh, the Rosenbaums, uh, we support them out of that church, and he'll be giving some updates um, on the Rosenbaums ministry and, of course, uh, preaching God's Word to us. So be in prayer about our missions conference coming up, and, and uh, we'll be speaking on the subject of missions uh, throughout the, the month of September uh, at various times leading up to our missions conference. And so uh, if you don't know the dates for that, it's September 20th through the 24th. And if you're a guest or a visitor, you're certainly welcome to be there uh, for each of those services, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then Sunday uh, that week, okay? Romans chapter 13, and I want to direct your attention this morning to verse 8 down through verse 10, so you follow along as I read. The Bible says, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. I want to speak to you this morning on this subject, the debt that we always owe. There's a story, historical, it's true, uh, but the story goes that there was a Roman nobleman who died, and he left some enormous debt that he had uh, successfully concealed during his lifetime. And when it all came out after his death, and when the estate that he had was put up for auction, Caesar Augustus instructed his agent to go and buy that man's pillow. Well, when some expressed some strange looks and some surprise at the order of Caesar Augustus to buy the man's pillow, he said this, he said, That pillow must be particularly conducive to sleep, because if its late owner, in spite of all of his debts, could sleep on it, that it must be a good pillow. Well, the thought and the idea there is that debt creates a lot of pressure, or can. And nobody likes pressure. But there is one debt that you and I will always owe and will never be able to pay off fully, and that is the debt of love towards others. You'll never reach the place where you can say, now I love others as much as I ought to. And so no matter how long you've been a Christian, or how much you've grown as a Christian, you still have room to grow in love. And so do I. The biblical emphasis on love is not a minor thing, nor is it infrequent. It is spoken of often in the Word of God. First of all, Jesus said this, Jesus said that love was the distinguishing mark of his followers. And Jesus said, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. Jesus said that it's the distinguishing mark. And in case 
his followers missed it. In that same discourse, in John chapter 15 and verse 12, Jesus said, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. You know, there's a lot of times when we skip out on that last part. Jesus says, you are to love one another. And our love for others becomes our version of what love is. But Jesus said, you're to love one another as I have loved you. There's the example. There's the standard. In case they missed it again, five verses later in John chapter 15 and verse 17, Jesus said, these things I command you that you love one another. Jesus spoke often of it. The Apostle Paul is another who spoke frequently on this same thought in his letters to his, to, to the churches. In fact, in Romans 12, skip back a chapter in Romans 12 and verse 9. We covered these a while ago, but he says, Let love be without dissimulation. It means don't, don't let it be fake. It's not, it's not something that should be feigned or fake. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. The thought here is that if we have love for one another that's genuine, we're going to hate anything that would cause harm or be evil to our brother or sister. Rather, we're going to want only what's good for them. And then he says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Well, we typically like to put ourselves first and not others. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 14, Let all things be done with charity, love, godly love, all things, all things. In that same vein, as even in our text, Paul says in Galatians chapter 5 in verse 13, Paul says here, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He told the Ephesian believers in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2, Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. There it is again, the standard as Christ has loved us, not our version of what we think it is. He says, walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. He wrote to the Thessalonian believers in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And of course, he wrote... 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, that tells us what love actually looks like. Do you know that? We say, oh, I love my brethren. Well, does it line up and does it match with what 1 Corinthians 13 says love looks like on a believer? In addition to that, we find that Hebrews and James and 1 Peter and 1 and 2 John they're all repeating the commands to love one another. Let's just take a look at a few of those. Hebrews chapter 10, turn over there. Hebrews chapter 10. In verse 24, Hebrews 10:24 says, "And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works." 
In Hebrews 13, in verse 1, Hebrews chapter 13, 1, let brotherly love continue. In James chapter 2, I've placed these in order so that you can just keep going in the same direction in your Bible. James chapter 2, in verse 8, if you fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. He says you're doing a good job, you're doing good when you fulfill the scriptures and love your neighbor as yourself. First Peter chapter 1, in verse 22, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, Unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Here he's talking about that unfeigned love that's not fake, it's genuine, it's pure. In 1 Peter chapter 4, in verse 8, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. That's a pretty high, high statement. Above all things, have fervent charity. You mean even above the way that I feel about something? Yeah, even above the way I feel about something. Well, I'm just so convicted about this thing. I just know that it... I'm, well, you know, Jesus said that truth is exclusive and truth is important, but we're to speak truth in what? In love. Above all things, have fervent charity one for another. First John chapter 3. First John 3 in, in verse 11. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Look down to verse 23. And this is His commandment, that we, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. Jesus said, this is my commandment, that ye love one another. 1 John chapter 4, 1 John 4 and verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifest or made known the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Wow, that's a pretty powerful passage of Scripture right there. If we're going to stop and break it down, how do we know that God loved us? The Bible says in that He sent His only begotten Son into this world to be the propitiation for our sins. The sacrifice is how we know that God loved us. And then He turns around and says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And Jesus said, as I have loved you. You see where this is going? The connections that are being made here. Second John in verse 5 says, And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love 
one another. The point I'm making here is that the biblical emphasis on love, it's not a minor thing or an infrequent thing. It's spoken on and taught on and preached on and instructed in the Word of God over and over and over again. You remember the revival preacher Jonathan Edwards. You know that name. Well, in trying to determine the validity of the many professions of faith that were made during the First Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards put love at the top of the list for determining whether someone's faith was genuine or not. And he said this, he said, The evidences of love or their absence are the best test by which Christians may try their experience, whether it be real or no. That jives with the scriptures, amen, because 1 John said, if we don't love one another, then the love of God is not in us. Amen? And so the question as we begin this morning is, would you or I pass the test? Love is the greatest test. Would you or I pass the test? Or more importantly, would your family or those who live with you say, yes, he or she is a loving person? We see it. We see the demonstration of it. Well, it's a mark of genuine salvation. Amen? 1 John 4 and verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Verse 21 of the same chapter, And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. So it's a mark of genuine salvation. Now, granted, this is something that is a lifelong growth process. And we all fail to love as we ought at times. But the Bible tells us that love is of God, and love is a fruit of the Spirit. And so, with a Spirit-controlled life, love will manifest itself in the child of God if we are truly children of God. And in our text, Paul tells us as Christians, number one, we ought to pay our debts, including the debt of love for others, because love fulfills the law of God. And so I want you to go back to our text in Romans chapter 13, please. And the thought or the thesis for the message here today is this, is that as Christians, we ought to pay our debts, including the debt of love for others, because love is fulfilling God's law. Now, we need to understand the flow of thought here. And we've been working through chapter 12, and now we're into chapter 13. The flow of thought goes all the way back to chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where the Bible says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So the flow of thought here is, first of all, based on the mercy of God. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God. Because you've received God's mercy in your life, you ought to present your body as a living sacrifice to God. Rather than being conformed to this evil age, we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can 
prove out or live in practice God's good and acceptable and perfect will in our life. That renewed mind is first of all going to be humble. He says in verse 3, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of grace. And so that renewed mind is going to be humble. We move on in the next few verses, and we find that Paul talks about where our service ought to be in the Lord's church. The local body, the local New Testament church, God has given us gifts to serve Him and use inside of that body, of which, part of which, is love one for another. We read that in verses 9 and 10 and so on. We're even to love those who mistreat us. We read a little bit later on that thought that we still are responsible uh, to even love those who would mistreat us. And we get into chapter 13, and we find more of our obligation as believers. It includes living in subjection to civil authorities. It includes paying our taxes. Chapter 13, verse 6, "...for for this cause pay ye tribute also." For they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And so we find that we have these obligations to pay our debts and so on. But there is one debt that you will always have and always need to be paying, and namely, that is the debt of love towards others. And that debt sums up all the commandments of God and fulfills God's law. And so we're going to break this passage down here and consider some things and make some applications that will be challenging, no doubt, but also helpful and even encouraging today. But before we look at Paul's instruction on love, we just need to consider, first of all, his brief phrase regarding debt. Notice verse 8, chapter 13 and verse 8. He says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Paul says here in the first part of verse 8, Owe no man anything. And as Christians, we should pay our financial obligations. Amen? Some use this verse to say that the Bible prohibits any kind of borrowing, period. I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches, but the context here is in terms of being sure to pay what you owe. You cannot back out on your debts. However, I will say this, debt-free living is really the best way to live. I don't think anybody could really argue with that. The Bible does warn us of the dangers and the realities that living in debt can be. Proverbs 22, 7 says that the rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Sometimes debt in a person's life, if there's a, a large amount of debt in someone's life, it could reveal underlying greed that drives them to buy things that they can't afford. It can also reveal an area of covetousness in the life because sometimes people want the status that goes along with having expensive, nice things, and so they go into debt to get those things because they want to be looked at in a certain way. Also, if you're in debt... 
It can keep you from not being able to freely and generously give to the Lord's work. That's a shame. And may it not be so among God's people. So debt-free living is the best kind, but nonetheless, we should pay, always pay, the debts that we owe. There's a moral obligation there for the child of God. But the thought that I want to really focus on this morning is the second part of verse 8, where he says, But to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. And so the second thought here this morning is that as Christians, we owe a debt of love to all men. Now, notice he says in verse 8 that we ought to love one another. That one another certainly includes those who are believers. But I don't think it's restricted to just those who are believers. The command extends to all people. If we were to read over in Mark chapter 12, just hold your place here, and look in Mark chapter 12. Mark 12 and verse 30. The Bible says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. For this is, or this is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. When it comes to loving others, the Bible says we are to love our neighbor. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. That word neighbor means your fellow man. And so the command extends beyond just those who are believers, but extends to all. It applies to people even to whom we may not especially like. It applies to those even who may have wronged us. You know, that we don't necessarily have to like somebody, but we do need to love them. It's hard to love people who badmouth you or talk about you. It's hard to fulfill the biblical command to pray for people who despitefully use you. You might be misunderstood. You might have, you might have all kinds of, 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 of misunderstandings in your life. You might have people who dislike you for one reason or another. But you know what? And you may not necessarily be best friends with somebody, but we do have the command to love people anyway. Why? Well, Romans chapter 1, in verse 14, says this. Paul says, I am debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Paul says, I am debtor. I'm debtor when it comes to the gospel. I owe this uh, of my life to give people the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's debt was to preach the gospel to all people. And the reason he incurred that debt was because he had received God's gracious love in his own life when he was yet a sinner. Romans 5.8. 
And the same is true for you and me. We've received God's gracious love in our life. God has changed our world when he saved our soul. Listen, we are in the same boat where we owe a debt of love. You're not going to preach the gospel to a soul if you don't care for it or love it. If you've received the gracious gift of eternal life, friend, then you owe a debt of love to all people. But you know what? You don't have to pay that debt of your own meager store of love. (laughs) Our own meager store of love is incapable. Rather, we pay out of the limitless overflow of God's love toward you. As the Lord enables us, as we are rooted and grounded in love, and we come to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that overflows to those around us, God's love. Look at, look at that. Ephesians chapter 3. Just look at this passage of Scripture with me here. Ephesians chapter 3. Look at verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God." that you are rooted and grounded in God's love, in Christ's love. You become more and more like Jesus Christ. You have the knowledge of Him, that you are filled with the fullness of God. And my friend, what I'm saying is, the abundant love of God in your life begins to spill over onto others. You ever know somebody like that? They're just friendly, they're kind, They're giving. They're helpful. They just try to be a blessing and try to help. Anywhere they go, they're serving others. People like that. Where does that come from? Well, it's because they have just such a dynamic personality. Not likely. More likely is that heart comes from somebody who is grateful for the love of God in their life and they're filled with the fullness of God. Because I'm not capable in my flesh. And neither are you. But it's a debt that we still owe. Amen? As Christians, we owe a debt of love to all men. But I want you to look a little further here because the next thing that we're going to see here is that the measure of genuine love for others is whether we love them as we love ourselves. Notice what he says. Go back to our text there, Romans 13. Romans 13 again. He says you fulfilled the law when you have love one for another. And then he says, For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, Thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. If there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The measure 
of genuine love for others is whether we love them as we love ourselves here. You know, in the past 40 years of American history and culture, it's been taught that all of your relationship problems stem from something called low self-esteem. And because you don't love yourself enough, you have a hard time in relationships with others. And so you first have to love yourself before you can properly love others. That's what's been taught in our culture. That is not biblical, friend. It doesn't come from the second great commandment. It doesn't come from anywhere else in the Bible. It comes from worldly psychologists who don't know God. There's only two great commandments, not three. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Self-love is assumed. Self-love is the assumed standard by which to measure love for others. We all love ourselves quite well. It doesn't need to be taught. It doesn't need to be, uh, it doesn't need to, you don't need to learn to love yourself more. We all take care of ourselves. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt in every situation, pretty much. And I've noticed that the guy who drives faster than me on the road is a complete idiot. <laughs> Driving home yesterday, I was on a mission. I got to get home. I need to get home. Made the trip home in six hours. Nobody was driving faster than me, except for one guy. <laughs> we got to the passing lane, and I'm already going 75 miles an hour. Boom! He goes flying by me, probably 90 miles an hour. I'm like, man, what an idiot in my head. But then I found myself going 90 miles an hour around somebody else a little bit later on. I'm not the idiot. He's the idiot. Right? That guy's going to cause an accident. The guy who drives slower than me needs to take some driving lessons because he's an idiot. Or get off the road, drive the car! That kind of stuff. But I drive just right. See? Or if other people in the church would just get their act together, things would run a lot smoother. But hey, I don't need to change. I'm not the one who needs to be different. The point is, yeah, there's a couple sighs going on in the room. <laughs> we like to pitchfork a lot of stuff too, don't we? That's for that guy over there. The point is that human nature is going to love self and shift blame to others. One man said this, it is certain, it's a certain thing that a person will love himself. And it's also a certain thing that he will do so in spite of the fact that the self he loves has many faults to it. Do I need to say that again? He's going to love himself, it's certain. And he's going to continue to love himself in spite of the fact that the person he loves himself has many faults. So Jesus, in 
Matthew chapter 22 in verse 29. I'll just read it for you if you're not there yet. Matthew 22 in verse 39. Where Jesus says in verse 38, This is the first and great commandment, which is to love the Lord. The second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus and the Apostle Paul in our text are saying, why don't we extend the same grace to other faulty sinners that we extend to ourselves? Love your neighbor as you do, in fact, love yourself. That's what he's saying. This is the debt that we always owe, a debt of love to our fellow man. Loving others, it's a difficult thing at times. The reason that it's difficult to love others is that it always, always, always is going to require some self-sacrifice and some self-denial. That's why. Let me give you an example. You know, I worked a long day stress on the job. I'd really rather come home and sit down and watch TV than to get up and help with the kids or help with the dishes or make dinner. Besides that, doesn't she know that I worked hard all day and that I just need my space? See, you have to take your focus off yourself and put it onto others and their needs in order to work at this debt of love that we owe to all men. The world sees love as feelings, right? The world sees love as a feeling. At its core, love is not a feeling, but rather it's a commitment that results in action. That's what love is. It's sacrifice. It's self-denial. Love is the commitment that we make to sacrifice ourselves in order to seek the highest good of the one that we say we love. My concern is should be more about, I want to bless your life. I want to be something that builds and grows your life. I'm not concerned about the way that I feel. The highest good for every person, ultimately, is that he or she comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ first. Amen? So with a total stranger, love may be the commitment to sacrifice our time and our comfort level to tell them about Christ. Paul says it's the debt that he owed to preach the gospel. Love may be the thoughtfulness to recognize a need that somebody has and to take action to meet that need without the request from the other person. But because I see it and I, I know it, I'm able to do some, 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 practice some love for others and sacrifice of myself and give my time for their good. Love may realize that her brother or sister is hurting. And so... I'll take the initiative to try to help, to restore, to comfort, to encourage, as the Lord gives opportunity. Is that what the Bible says? As ye have therefore opportunity, especially to they who are of the household of faith, amen, 
Love is a debt we always owe, but the measure of genuine love for others is really how we love ourselves. Love thy neighbor as you do, in fact, love yourself. But then, fourthly, we find that love or love for others is actually the fulfillment of God's law. Go back to our text. We all say that we love God. We all say that we want to please God. We want to do the will of God. But love for others is actually the fulfillment of the law of God and the will of God. Amen? In Romans 13, again, in verse 9, For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Paul says this explicitly twice in this passage, that it is the fulfillment of God's law. In verse 9, Paul cites five of the Ten Commandments to show what love does not do. All of those things that are listed there pertain to sin or wrong against another. Adultery, murder, theft, dishonesty, covetousness. All of these sins are selfish in nature. In verse 10, Paul says that if there is genuine love, it's not going to work ill toward his neighbor because real love, godly love, only wants the best for his neighbor just like the heart of God wants the best for you. If we truly love God, we're going to seek to obey His commandments. Amen? And so the question that Paul asks us here is this, and I'll conclude with this. Are you paying your debts? Are you working at paying the debt that you will always owe? the debt of love for others? Are you really making the effort to sacrifice, whether it's your comfort, whether it's your convenience, whether it's your time, whether it's your own feelings to meet the highest good of others? If you have a family, start with them. That's for me too. We have a family. Amen? Start here. We all have difficult people in our lives. Maybe that's extended family. Maybe that's even other church members. One thing we all need is God's love first. And secondly, we need to be willing to be the channel from which God's love will flow into other people's lives. It might be somebody at work, hard to get along with. Love's aim is going to be their highest good. It might be somebody who doesn't really like you for whatever reason. My tendency saying this to our Sunday school class earlier today. In my flesh, my tendency would be this. You don't like me? 
your loss. I don't need you. I'm good. And move on with life. But that's not a godly response. You may not like me, and that's fine, but I'm still going to try to love you. Love's aim is still going to be their highest good, which is to know Christ and be conformed to Him. It's going to take effort, but we owe such love to them both in our deeds and in our sharing the gospel as the Lord gives opportunity. Amen? Somebody might say, and I'll close with this thought here, how can I develop this quality? Okay, I see some maybe areas of deficiency in my life. Um, Maybe that doesn't feel good, but I do want to please the Lord. How can I develop this quality that is being talked about here? Well, Paul's answer is in Galatians 5 and verse 16. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then he goes on to say that the fruit of the Spirit is love. A Spirit-filled, a Spirit-controlled life. If you ask, how can I know whether I'm acting in love? Well, Paul gets pretty specific about that. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and look at verse 4. The Bible says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. That's what love actually looks like. How do I know if I'm acting in love? Well, does it, does it, does it match up? Does it line up? Or is it my version of what love, what I think love is? Oh, I love you. Oh, I love my brethren. Well, charity suffereth long long-suffering. Charity is kind. Charity envieth not. Envy somebody else's blessings. Like People who just cannot be happy for other people when something good is happening in their life. Why is that? Self-focus, not love. It's not easily provoked. It thinketh no evil. I spoke to you on this not that long ago. The thought process oftentimes is to measure somebody up. Oh, they did this. I don't even understand all the motives behind it, but I really know what's going on there. Thinketh no evil. Charity is going to give the benefit of the doubt until you know for sure. It beareth all things. It doesn't behave behave itself unseemly. It seeketh not her own. I love somebody as long as I know that they are going to give me what I want in return. 
That's not godly love, right? So how do we know if we're acting in love? Well, does it line up with what the Bible says God's love actually looks like? Well, that's the debt that we owe to all people. And may the Lord help us to work at paying our debts. Amen? Because God first loved us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would challenge us with truth today. Maybe that means examining our relationships. Maybe that means examining our thinking. What does, does my life line up with what the Bible teaches? And Lord, the areas of my life where I fail or where I seem to falter or my thinking has been skewed. Lord, may I have the heart that says, Lord, I'm sorry. I confess that. Lord, help me to grow, to be more like Christ, to be humble, to receive what I need and what you know that I need. And Lord, may we not act in self-righteousness or stand in judgment. May we not give ourselves the pass. But Lord, say, Lord, I just want to please you and I want to be like you. Thank you for giving me truth, for giving me instruction in righteousness. Lord, I know it comes from you, and it comes from a heart of love toward me. We praise you for that. We thank you, Lord, for that. And Lord, I pray that you would work in hearts today. And there may be somebody who's never been born again. They've never experienced the love of God. They've never repented of their sin, put their faith in Christ. Lord, I pray that you'd draw to yourself today, if that be the case. Lord, we just ask that you would accomplish your will in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.